Welcome back to the Buddy Martin Show on a Monday. Got the new black hat on tonight. I'm thinking about maybe putting this for sale up here. wonder how that would look if I had your name up there. Hmm, never know. Space for sale. So, uh, probably wear a Mel Cala quarterback club shirt. Um, so, uh, we'll talk more about our latest information that we got from. We don't have a lot of solid stuff. A lot of suggestions and rumors and not rumors about what's going on in the world of recruiting. I, I just don't like this setup, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I'm going to tell you, I, I, and I'm going to read this part right now, my thoughts I put on paper. Here, here it is about National Sunday, my thoughts. The bad news is that enormous pressures are being put on a faulty system, which at best is already disingenuous, suspect, and a bit on the shady side. And all the wrong messages are being sent about loyalty and integrity and trust. In my lifetime, I've never seen such pressure brought on 17 and 18 year olds who are asked to change being, they're asked, being asked to change their minds. And in some cases go against their principles or break their promise for quote unquote, the betterment of all. So how do we in the media even write about it or broadcast it or report it in good conscience? Sources cannot be trusted. Fans are maniacal. Coaches aren't talking. And things are changing by the hour. That's my problem with National Signing Day and trying to figure it out. Maybe in the end, it will balance out so far, in my opinion, after talking to a lot of people, including parents, some prospects, and some coaches, it's been an abysmal failure in terms of what I think it ought to be. But that's just me. Let's go to the hotline now and talk to a guy who has his own thoughts about National Signing Day, among other things, and the game of football. He works for CBS. It's in the press box on game days. He's a columnist in Southwest Florida. Does a talk show on Fox Sports Southwest Florida with uh, called Moulton and Miller. He would be Moulton. David Moulton joins the program. Hi, David. Hey, buddy. Now, are you talking about signing day as in first Wednesday of February, or are you talking this early signing day? Early signing day. Well, I'm an early signing day guy, although it doesn't appear this year that it's working the way that people like me would want it to work. I mean, I, I will grant you that. The whole, you know, they, they picked this day because they thought by then recruits would know which head coaches were hired and fired and that sort of deal. But, you know, assistants a lot of times are the ones that determine really, you know, whether or not a guy is going to a certain school or not. And we're going to see on Friday or Saturday about 200 assistant coaches get up and leave their current employment and go elsewhere. So I don't know if early signing needs to go really, really early or if it needs to become like second or third week of January so that the 75% who pretty much by then know where they want to go can just take their names out and people don't have to keep recruiting them for the next three weeks and then they can go recruit everybody else. As I said, among the words I use, adjectives disingenuous, suspect, and a bit on the shady side. It's already been on the shady side, as we know, because of the situations we know about. Uh, they placed the system has placed even more pressure because let's back it up. The coaches are being fired summarily because they're, if they don't produce, they get two to three years and they're out, and they're making changes. 
and they want to make the change before National Signing Day. So it's a rush-rush deal because we all know that coaches have other commitments. They're splitting their roles, their old team and their new team. Watermelons call the ones he doesn't want uh, who, who are commits to Jim McElwain's uh, squad and then find the ones he was going to recruit at Mississippi State and then go after the ones he thinks he can flip because he needs to get a quarterback like Justin Fields, like Emory Jones. And the whole system is, is bizarre, frenetic, and certainly impossible to manage. No wonder is such chaos. I, I've never seen such well, chaos. Well, buddy, I'll say this. I have no sympathy for the coaches. I'm sorry. I, I I'm talking about the kids. They're, the kids yeah, no, not That's a different it. story. Yeah. But everything you just said was all about the coaches and all about the programs. I have no sympathy for the coaches and the programs. Early signing period was meant to make life better for the recruits so that they could stop the phone calls and stop the text messages and, hey, I've been committed to Florida for eight months. I want to go to Florida. How soon can I sign something that says Florida? That's what early signing is about. If this turns out to be the wrong time of the year to do it, then we can adjust. I think, though, not having early signing would be a mistake. And, and to me – Going back to the first Wednesday of February being the be-all and the end-all, that would be done because that's what the coaches and the programs want, not necessarily what the kids want. I mean, buddy, I think over half the kids know where they're going. I really do. I, I, I think that this is a little bit of hysteria. I, I really think half of the recruits at least know where they're going. And then we can just get them off the board and then, you know, the power five and then the group of five and everybody could see what their board looks like and they know who's available and they can go after them. Instead of having to recruit the whole field until the first Wednesday in February, we can cut the field in half. It's not ideal. It's not working as well as someone like me would have hoped, granted. But I still think it's better than going back to how it was. Well, and me... just because the coaches are complaining, I mean, to me, that's like health insurance and the insurance companies are complaining. If they're complaining, I think we're on to something. I'm really not talking about the coaches. And I, I wrote a column about this, and I read part of it before you came on the air. And I said the system is the best faulty and disingenuous because coaches know they're leaving. You know, they're not recruiting players. They're, they're just doing finishing up their job, and then they're going down the road. And I also said the pressures are being brought on the 17- and 18-year-olds who asked to change their minds by adults who are really teaching them, go against your promises, don't be loyal, do what's best for you, which, you know, that's a message that can be troublesome. And then the other part about it is it's all done in secret and hiding, and how can you even bring it to the light and write about it or talk about it? Because we don't know. Because coaches can't talk about it. The only people who can talk are the recruits and the, and the parents. So I'm not, I don't really care about the coaches that much. I care about the system and the pressure they're putting on young people yeah, and, buddy, and, and the fact that, and buddy, the fact that it's that it's all for the convenience of who it isn't helping the kids. Now we'll find out, David, and I'll let you have, rebut this. We'll find out how many people flip. All right, if half the kids flip from their original commits, I don't think it's a very good system. A large number apparently will. We'll see how that turns out. And then we'll see what the next round happens after the dead period. Then they sign the second wave. There's too much. 
what I'm feeling and by talking, and I did a bunch of shows on this the last three weeks, as you know, I talked to people and talked to parents and talked to recruits, and I'm getting a feeling of the, the, this frenetic pace, this, this, this absolute psychotic, almost neurotic approach to what they're doing is not a healthy thing. And maybe it's not. Maybe, you know, the best intentions have failed here. Uh, I know I'm for the, the intent, which is basically, hey, a kid's been recruited for how long? At some point in time, a good chunk of kids know where they're going. I mean, think about what signing day has been like here in recent years. How many undecideds do we really have? I mean, the vast majority of kids by the first Wednesday in February, we all know where they're going. Yet everybody's having to continuously recruit kids that they already have, and other schools are still trying to flip them, even though they know it's a long shot to flip them. And we were just, you know, the intent is to try to end that madness. Let the kids go where they want to go as early as possible. Maybe December 20th is the wrong date. Maybe it needs to be August 20th. Maybe it needs to be January 20th. I just don't think we all need to wait until the first Wednesday of February. All right, enough about that because recruiting is difficult to write about or talk about. Let's just say that uh, we'll see how it turns out in the wash. Let's talk. Is it too early to talk about the championship games? Have you gotten into bowl games? I'm having difficulty so far because I haven't many real great ones. I did like Boise State's uh, quadruple pirouette play. That was pretty cool. But other than that, just bits and pieces of bowl games. Uh, we'll have a little better game this weekend, and of course we get into uh, the playoffs the following weekend and the championship rounds. How do you stand? Has anything changed for you in terms of the two national semifinals? I have to admit, I, I'm waffling a little bit, and I don't normally waffle. My gut was both SEC teams were going to lose, and I find myself waffling a bit. I'm having a harder time with the Georgia-Oklahoma game than I am Clemson-Alabama, to be honest. Now, maybe it's because I saw Alabama not at their best. I saw them saw them at their best against inferior competition. But really, when they played anybody with a pulse this year, mm, they struggled a little bit, if not struggled a lot of bit. So, you know, if you ask me right now who's a better program, Clemson or Alabama, I know it may be sacrilegious to say, but I'm not so sure it's not Clemson. And that's basically what we're determining on January 1st, aren't we? Who the premier program in college football is? It's like uh, I would Frazier. think so. You know, every time boxing trilogies, whoever takes two out of three, they get to have their arm raised as being the better yeah. you know what. You're right. And I think that's what we're determining right now. I'm struggling the last time I saw Alabama, buddy. They struggled up front with Auburn. And while I don't know if Clemson's D-line is equal to Auburn's, I think it's damn close. <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out if Alabama's going to struggle up front offensively. You know, Clemson's ultimately going to get their 20-something points. So how then is Alabama going to get their 20-something points? I, I, you know, I, I think Clemson wins. The other one, you know... It's tough to have a lot of faith in Oklahoma's defense. And could Georgia just physically run over Oklahoma slowly with those running backs? 300 <laughs> yards rushing, 38 minutes of possession. How many times have we seen the Heisman Trophy winner struggle in bowl games yep. and all that? You know, that that's the game. But then again, if Oklahoma gets out to a 17-7 lead, Georgia's not really built to come from behind, and Oklahoma's a great front runner. So... 
that's the one I'm really struggling with. But I gotta admit, I'm starting to cement Clemson. Hmm. Rightly or wrongly, buddy, I'm starting to cement Clemson. Okay, that's fair enough. I, I think there's a couple of schools of thought. Number one, Alabama, you give Nick Saban that much time and get him healthy with all his linebackers, and he's going to be hard to beat. Uh, the other thing is, though, that a very smart football coach, I can't remember who it was. I hate to say Lou Holtz, although I think it was, once said the football teams don't change year to year. They change week to week and sometimes half to half. And if you apply that principle and you look at these four teams and say, how much different will it be? for these four teams. Uh, I think it's going to be a situation where we know what we're getting, we're going to be getting with Baker Mayfield for the most part, or do we, as you say, Heisman trophy winners don't sometimes show up. Uh, and so, uh, the, the, there are, is the, the dynamic of change, David, which I like that you said you're starting to change because this is not the same team. It was a month ago, looking at this, you're an sec guy as am I, I'd like to see the two SEC teams get to the finals. I just think it's going to be hard to keep Oklahoma out of there, and I would be afraid of Clemson, although Alabama is still the team Las Vegas lights. I will say this. It's important for the SEC to at least have one winner. Yes. All right, because college football is the longest offseason, and if the SEC goes over two, you know, that's 220-plus days. You know, Clemson dethroned Alabama and the SEC a year ago. If the SEC goes O for the semis, that's seven long months of banging on the SEC. If I'm, you know, Greg Sankey, at least I need a yeah. split out of this sucker. Whether I win the final game of the year or not, I need a split. I do think, buddy, it is a huge advantage for Alabama to get the month off. You look at where they were at the end of the year and how they were playing and where Clemson was at the end of the year and how they were playing. Uh huge advantage to Alabama to get a month off and for the first time, buddy, tell me the last game that Alabama walked out onto the field in which they got to play the underdog card. Forget Vegas. They're the four seed. Clemson's the one. Clemson beat them last year. Clemson's the national champion. Pressure is actually first time on somebody else other than Alabama to win a big game. Buddy, I think you got to go back to the 08 SEC championship game mm -hmm. against the Gators. I yeah. really do. I think yeah. you got to go back nine years since Bama's been in a spot like this. Yeah. Still one of the great wins in the Florida program, which people tend Absolutely. to Absolutely. Tebow's fourth quarter was perfect. It was amazing. That drive down the field. Power, all power was the thing to behold. And, of course, a couple of passes he had. That was incredible. And, by the way, Nick Saban never forgot it. He was good for him after that every year. Made him pay. Uh, David Moulton, you're a football fan. I know you not you don't watch that much NFL football. I watch a little. I'm watching last night like millions of other people, although I haven't watched much NFL this year, the least I've watched in a lot of years, is that, you know, you get back to that old axiom, when is a catch a catch? Have we gotten to the point in football now where we really can't make a judgmental call? Because I'm going to bring up a point here. You see the catch last night by, by, uh, uh, Jesse, by James. Uh, who, it looks like a catch. All right, that was called a touchdown. That was overruled, bobble, whatever. In balls and strikes, you know, they call it a ball and strike. You can watch it 100 times. It's still going to be a ball or a strike, right? I'm almost to the point where I'm ready to say, you know what? If it's that close, go with the call. But there was something about that that just sat wrong with me. They got it right technically, but I'm wondering if we're not splitting hairs so much, 
it's just hard to justify. What's your take on that? Well, you know, they got the rule right, but everybody hates the rule. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And this goes back, what, six years? Mm-hmm. Was it 2011, 2012 with Calvin Johnson? You know, I, right. and to me, once they made the Des Bryant ruling, now I think we've gone down the road of which there is no return. So to me, unless they're going to radically change their definition of catch, we're just going to see more and more of this going forward. And all of the former officials that are in the media now, they seem to believe that we better get used to what we have, that it's not going to be changed, that this is like a bill that went before Congress and a whole bunch of pork got thrown in, and now we don't even know what we're voting on anymore. I mean, buddy, my reaction when I saw it and I saw the replay, I went, oh, this is Des Bryant all over again. They're going to overturn this, mm-hmm. and this is absurd. Yeah, we want to get into the one about which cheek was down first. <laughs> that was that's a whole other bog. Well, also, but also, here's the thing for a fan. You know, in high school and college, that's a catch inside the one because he drops to his knee, so the play would have been done. Right. But it's a catch. So it's weird for us just as fans. You know, Tony Dungy made a point last night, which he said in Pop Warner High School and college, that's all one thing. And in the NFL, it's another. That's difficult for us to wrap our brain around. You know, I don't understand why the goal line is different for receivers than it is for runners, quarterbacks, and defensive players. That's also difficult for us to wrap our brain around. It seems as if, you know, it's kind of like when we talk about tax policy and the candidates who say we should be able to do our taxes on a postcard or on a piece of paper. That's kind of how I am with football rules. I mean, if it can't be on a postcard where we all understand it, then there's probably something wrong with the rule. And on that one, I agree. Let's end it on a good, harmonious note. Uh, happy holidays to you, David. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Merry Christmas, buddy. Thank you. David Moulton.